Good morning. Today we are hearing from Katie Fowler. She's speaking this morning. Yeah. Many of you already know Katie, but if you don't, if you haven't been around for that long, Katie and her husband Chuck did a church planting residency with us in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so New Denver and then another church, Corona Church, helped plant Nova Church in Cap Hill, where Katie and Chuck now pastor. Um, and so she has been around a while, is a friend of NDC, is a mom of three boys, which is crazy and hard. Um, and she's just so fun to be with. So thank you for being here, Katie. Let's welcome her this morning. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, y'all. I am happy to be with you all this morning. Uh, last time I was here, I was very, very, very pregnant. Uh, and now baby Jack is about to turn one. So I'm glad to be back. I'm glad I can actually talk without like losing my breath. That helps with preaching and being in front of y'all this morning. And today we're going to look at Exodus 20. If you want to turn there, if you want to pull it up on your phone, or if you want to follow along on the screen as I read Exodus 20, we're going to start at verse 8. Exodus 20, we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. Hear God's word. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you're here, that we don't have to beg you to show up, that you're here, that your spirit is moving, and that, God, you're speaking. So I pray for each one of us here as individuals and as a community, God, that you would speak, that we would hear, that you would speak, that we would receive, that you would speak, that we would be transformed as your spirit moves among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start by saying this. I am tired. I'm tired. It's what I said to Emily when I saw her this morning. She said, how are you doing? And I responded, I am tired. I don't know how many times those words have come out of my mouth the past few years. I don't know how many times I could tell you those words have come out of my mouth. I do know I'm not going to tell you how many cups of coffee I had this morning? <clears throat> five. The answer is five. <laughs> I think I'm not alone, though, in that feeling of fatigue. I think we are tired. Can I get an amen? If you have energy. There was like a mm. <laughs> There was like a mm. <laughs> I think we are tired. Physically tired. Things that keep us up at night. It could be a crying baby. It could be a pet that needs to go out. It could be anxiety or stress. It could be aching joints. It could be the blue light of a screen. John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, notes that before Edison and the invention of the light bulb, the average person slept 11 hours a night. Anyone get that last night? <laughs> yeah, me neither. He goes on to say the average American now gets seven hours a night. It's quite the decrease. But when I say tired, when I say I'm tired, I don't just mean physical fatigue. 
I think I'm also emotionally tired. A good word for that is, is weary. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. There's a lot of reasons for that, not least the collective trauma of living through a global pandemic, not least social unrest, anxiety over national crisis after national crisis, gun violence, racial injustice. It could be the, the family dynamics that you're facing right now. A season of change, a season of transition, a season of loss, a season of grief. I think we're emotionally worn out. But it's not just that. I think we're also spiritually tired. Our souls, if we dare to pay attention to them, if we dare to slow down enough to pay attention to them, our souls can feel beaten down. Disappointments, deferred hope have a way of weighing down our souls, a constant striving, a restless seeking, always trying to prove yourself or prove your worth. It's exhausting. Some of you are tired just listening to me right now, just listening to the start of my sermon. And I think by and large, though, our go-to move is to just keep going. Just keep spinning our wheels, hustle and grind, keep jumping on that treadmill, keep going, keep pushing, cramming more and more into our days, into our headspace, just keep scrolling, keep accumulating more and more stuff. And honestly, it usually doesn't feel like it's enough. Or maybe our go-to move is just to crash on the couch all weekend, shut out the world, shut out people, just binge watch our way through the weekend. And so in this, you can pick your adjective, you can pick your favorite adjective, busy, restless, anxious, distracted, overstimulated, that's my go-to, that's my jam these days, overstimulated, burned out, hurried. Author and pastor Mark Buchanan tells a story of someone asking him once, what's the biggest regret in your life? You know, casual conversation. (laughs) What's the biggest regret in your life? And he writes this, I thought a moment, surveying the vast and cluttered landscape of my blunders and losses. And then he said this, being in a hurry. What? Being in a hurry. But we keep going. We keep pushing. We keep hurrying. Because it feels like the answer is just right there, out there, right around the corner. And, And maybe, honestly, we're just not even sure how to be otherwise. Places to be, things to do. We're consumed with this pursuit of more. And I think maybe that sounds sort of dramatic. Like when I wrote that, I thought that sounds so dramatic. Like we're consumed with this pursuit of more. Until I think about if I have five minutes until I need to get out the door, if I find myself with five extra minutes before I need to leave, I try to do like 10 things in those five minutes. I'm always looking for how I can cram more into my day. Comer puts it like this, we live in a society of accumulation and accomplishment. Our our life together as a society is built on get more and do more. And then as good Denverites, we might add experience more. And all of this just feels like it's on endless repeat. I actually find it hard to catch my breath. And I, I really want to catch my breath. I feel like more than anything this summer, I need to catch my breath. Today we're looking at this ancient practice called Sabbath. 
And I think this practice, out of all the practices in Scripture, out of all the ones that we find there, is actually one of the most neglected. That in our culture today, it's one of the most countercultural, one of the most desperately needed. If you want to live radically for Jesus, try taking a Sabbath. Because to people caught in the tyranny of more, of work more, produce more, to the weary and the burden, God says this. God says, stop. Stop. In our passage today, Exodus 20, we find these words, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So let's start with a bit of context here. These commandments, the Big Ten, you know, these commandments are given to a small nation called Israel, a nation set apart by God to bear witness to God's goodness, to bear witness to God's grace. And we read in the beginning of Exodus 20, before a single commandment is given to the Israelites, we read, God says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Earlier in the book of Exodus, we read about God delivering the Israelites out of the oppression of the Egyptians. God says, I have heard their cries, I'm concerned about their suffering, and so I have come down to rescue them. This great summary of the saving action of God. I've heard their cries, I'm concerned about their suffering, and so I've come down to do something about it. God doesn't say, do these things, and then I'll rescue you. As if we check the boxes, we get it all right, and then we enter into right relationship with God. No, God rescues first. Grace comes first. And God promises, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And then God shows them, okay, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to live as my people. And command number four, right there, stop. That's the word Sabbath. It means stop, cease. And notice this command to remember the Sabbath, to rest, it's given to those who knew the tyranny of more. Work more produce more. People who had been enslaved for generations work more, produce more, more and more until your back is going to break. And God says every seventh day, stop. Take 24 hours a day, stop. Stop what? Well, stop your work. Stop your work. Now there's goodness, there's, there's dignity to our work. There's goodness, there's dignity to to our work, to all of our work as we contribute to the flourishing of all. But there's also this rhythm to the universe. There's this cadence to life, a rhythm of work and rest, six days work, seventh day, stop. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Now, what does that mean? Think about this for a moment. As I've been saying the word Sabbath, what comes to mind? When you just hear that word, what comes to mind? Anyone want to shout it out? Anything? Okay, I'll keep preaching then. <laughs> Rest. Yeah, anything else? You hear Sabbath, what comes to mind? Think about that. Sunday naps. Sunday naps and all God's people said. <laughs> so author and therapist, Professor Dr. Dan Allender, he's written a wonderful book on Sabbath. It's great influenced how I think about Sabbath. You'll hear me reference it a lot today. And in the book, he tells the story of teaching a class at the theological school that he works at. So he's teaching this class, and he does this questionnaire on Sabbath for his students. And he says, four out of the 30 students say they practice Sabbath. 90% view it as simply another word for church. He said 70% 
view it as a day of, of rules and regulations of what you can't do, primarily about what you can't do, and anything that you're allowed to do, they say it has to be this, spiritual, pious, and God-focused. That's their impression of Sabbath. I'm going to invite you just to think for a moment to acknowledge that we don't really know what to do with Sabbath. I didn't grow up talking about Sabbath in my family. Like, I remember we would go to church most Sundays. Maybe we would go to lunch afterwards if I could talk my parents into that. And then we would come home and my parents would do yard work and we would watch TV the rest of the day. Like, that was Sunday for me. The first church I worked at, they told me that I didn't need a day off, much less a Sabbath because I was only working a summer. I'm still really bitter about that, in case, they're, in case they hear this. <laughs> Maybe you don't think that much about Sabbath. Maybe Sabbath feels archaic, irrelevant, impractical. Maybe it feels silly, like when my kids are just exhausted, and I tell them that they need a nap, and they look at me like that's the worst idea that anyone has ever had. Is this, is command number four, is this just God like, y'all need a nap? Is that what this is? Maybe Sabbath feels really impossible. Or maybe Sabbath, yeah, it does seem like religious legalism. I don't know how Sabbath feels to you. But to people caught in the tyranny of more work more, produce more, to the weary and burdened, God says, stop. Stop. Stop and what? Well, to answer that, we have to keep reading in Exodus 20. We read this in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What does it mean that God rested? Was God burnt out from all that creating? Really took a number on him, you know? Spoke creation into being, and it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning. Like, what a grind. Why did God rest? Was God really struggling with his work-life balance here? No, of course not. And here's the thing we have to grasp if we're going to understand the beauty of Sabbath. Sabbath is not about recharging so you can be more productive in the week ahead. Sabbath is not about recharging to increase your utility in the coming week. God's not like, how can I squeeze every ounce of efficiency from these humans? No, God, the all-powerful, didn't need to rest because he ran out of energy. Sabbath rest is rooted in God's very nature, God's very life. And this invitation to practice Sabbath, to stop, it's not about checking the boxes, it's not about fulfilling some sort of religious obligation, it's about participating in the very life of God. It's about an invitation into the very life of God, being at peace with God and with each other and with the natural world. Sabbath rest is rooted in who God is, in God's character. So what is it? What is the rest of God? What is the rest of the living God? Allender writes that the Hebraic idea of rest is joyous repose, tranquility, or delight. 
He says God didn't rest in the sense of taking a nap or chilling out. Instead, God celebrated and delighted in his creation. God, the living God, who spoke creation into being, who out of primeval chaos created order and beauty and justice and abundance, God rested, celebrating and delighting in all that God had made. And God invites humanity, us, into his very life, into that joy, into that delight. More than any other author or or scholar, Dr. Allender has, has helped me see that the Sabbath marked by God, set in place by God, is a day of delight, of joy. In his book, he asked this question, what would I do for a 24-hour period of time if the only criteria was to pursue my deepest joy? What are you doing today? (laughs) What would you do for a 24-hour period of time if the only criteria were to pursue your deepest joy. A day of delight, of celebration, an invitation into the very life of God, a day that recenters us in the presence of God. Week after week, we get to that seventh day, a day that recenters us in the reign and rule of God. Author Ruth Haley Barton describes it like this, that the Sabbath is ceasing our work to be fully present to the gifts of God in our life. There's this rhythm to the universe. There's this cadence to life, a rhythm of work and rest. Six days work on the seventh day. Stop and delight. Stop and savor. Stop and celebrate. Stop and be present to the gifts of God in your life. In terms of planning out your actual day, your actual Sabbath, Pastor Rich Viedas suggests we ask this, What brings you joy in a way that restores you? What brings you joy in a way that actually brings life to you, that restores you? How would you answer that? For you, for you and your roommates, for you and your family, for you as a community? What brings joy in a way that restores you? There's an organization called Practicing the Way that that helps churches think about spiritual formation, think about how we're actually shaped in the way of Jesus. And in their resources on Sabbath, they talk about this idea called pleasure stacking. Pleasure stacking. And this is what they write. They say, make a list of activities that cause you delight and joy and plan to do one to three of them during your Sabbath. One to three of them during your Sabbath. They say, here are a few ideas. All right, you ready? Make pancakes. I'm good right there. That's like my favorite thing to do. Okay, but they keep going. They say, make pancakes, open a good bottle of wine, have a dance party, play music, get coffee with your best friend, make love to your spouse, take a walk, nap, eat delicious food, do your nails or favorite self-care activity, go fishing or surfing or swimming. You can contextualize that for Colorado. Be in nature, watch the sunrise or set, make a fire, read fiction or poetry, sing, go to an art museum, go on a picnic in a beautiful park, play a game, call a friend or a family member who lives far away, be as creative and thoughtful as you can. Who's ready for Sabbath? (laughs) What brings you joy in a way that restores you. Now, for years, my husband, Chuck, and I have been really enamored by this idea of Sabbath as a day of delight. 
by this question of, okay, what would I do if I have 24 hours to pursue joy? What would that look like? And at the same time, with planting a church and parenting three little ones, our Sabbaths tend to look like not checking email, not doing church work, We try to give each other a few hours to do something that restores. We kind of trade off on who has kids so the other person can go hang out with friends or whatever. I always want to be alone. Chuck's like, I want to go hang out with friends, and I'm like, I just want to be alone. (laughs) Like, that's my Sabbath. But it's also for us in this season become a day to get stuff done. Like, it's really hard for me to let go of that one. I want to do all my housework because our apartment's a mess, and I want to run errands, and we have doctor appointments. We always have doctor appointments for our kids, especially this winter. We were like a revolving door of co-pays this winter. We're always at the doctor, and we're like, sure, Friday, that's our day off. And it became full of all this stuff, and I really need to catch my breath, and I really want to catch my breath, and I felt this invitation from God to be more intentional with my Sabbath, with our Sabbath as a family. So we're trying that out, you know, this summer. Kids are out of school, so we moved our Sabbath from Friday to Saturday. I work on Sundays, so Sabbath now on on Saturdays. And so we start it Friday night. So we're trying this, you know, be more intentional. So we lit a candle. We said a prayer. You know, we're like, all right, delight. Here we go, right? Like, delight. And I would say... There were some moments of delight. We made pancakes, went for a walk in the rain at the Botanic Gardens. And I would also say there were a lot of moments of chaos. My kids kept wanting to eat. (laughs) My kids kept wanting things from me. Our friend's dog bit Chuck in the hand. That was random. (laughs) And at the end of the day, we were like, oh, so delightful, you know? And and honestly, though, I felt like God was like, keep going. Keep practicing Sabbath. This is what you need. This is what y'all need. This is what's going to save your souls in this season. Keep going. And yeah, if you were to ask my kids, you know, if you had 24 hours, baby Jack, (laughs) to pursue your greatest joy, (laughs) I think his answer is going to be different than mine. (laughs) conflicting even with mine, but I felt this invitation from God. Keep going. Keep practicing. Keep trying. Because Sabbath ultimately is not just a day, but a way of moving through the world. Not just a date on a calendar, but a posture that invites the spirit of the living God to shape us as God's people. It's not just a day, but a posture of opening ourselves up to the God who holds us and the whole world. Now, if you keep reading through Scripture, you quickly see that Israel failed to live as God's people. They weren't so good at keeping the commandments. But God doesn't give up. The God we worship today is the God who doesn't give up, doesn't give up on us. No, God came down for our rescue. God in Christ came to make the reality of God's presence known to us, the reality of God's loving rule and reign, what Jesus called the kingdom of God to bring that reality, to make it accessible and available to us. And I love how Allender and his colleagues, how they talk about Sabbath as an act of defiance. We get to be defiant as the people of God, defiant against the kingdoms of this world. 
Six days we work, that's five. Six days we work. On the seventh day we stop and we raise our glasses and we feast and we make pancakes and we rejoice because death does not get the last word. Amen? Maybe you're listening to me and thinking all this talk about a day to pursue delight just smacks so much of middle class privilege. Maybe you hear this, a day off of luxury and pancakes. <laughs> Maybe to you it smacks of, of privilege. A few months ago, Chuck and I, after our Sunday night service at Nova, we went to Wendy's with our boys for dinner. We're going through the drive-thru, and I started talking to the woman working there, just, just making a conversation, and I asked her what time she got off work that night. And she said she started working her first job that day at 4 a.m., and that this, her second job, would end at 10 p.m. Some people don't have the luxury of, of a day off, let alone a day of delight. Some people have no choice but to work two jobs, double shifts, making less than a livable wage. And what does Sabbath have to do with their reality. We don't have time this morning to unpack all the ways that Sabbath is actually a sign of God's justice. You heard it in the passage even, right? Like, don't let those foreigners living among you work. The immigrants, don't put it off on them. That Sabbath is actually a sign of God righting the societal, economical, and systemic wrongs of our world. But practicing Sabbath, this, this day of delight, can be a small but potent way of saying no to the ways of this world. No to the 24-7 culture. Or as Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann puts it, Sabbath is an act of resistance. To the weary and burdened, God says, stop. Stop. I think we're tired. I think I'm tired in part because I try to carry things I was never meant to carry. This lie that it's all on me. This false belief that it's all up to me. That I have to work my way to belonging. That I have to earn my way to belonging. This false belief that the world is spinning out of control and it's up to me to hold it together. This false belief that the world is spinning out of control and God really needs me to hold it together. Because the invitation of Jesus, it goes like this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the one who allows us to catch our breath. Here's how the message paraphrase puts it. Those words of Jesus from Matthew 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I fear that some of you will hear this message this morning as just one more thing that you're not doing, that you're supposed to be doing. Don't do that. Don't jump to guilt. Don't brush it off as impossible or impractical. Let us together just open ourselves to God's Spirit, to the imitation of God. But a Sabbath has more to do with delight than duty, a day to taste and see that God is good. 
a day of joy and feasting in the presence of God, a day to catch your breath and feel more human again in the company of God and God's people, a day to remind yourself that the maker of heaven and earth is your God, our God, that Jesus is king, that the new world is surely coming, that Jesus is making all things new. Remember the Sabbath. Sit at a table and eat really good food with friends and family. Linger over that cup of coffee as you call to mind the kindness of God to you this past week. Watch the sunset and let the beauty draw you into God's heart. And gather with God's people. Gather together in worship. And come to this table and be reminded all over again that this is Christ's body given for you and Christ's blood poured out for you. Keep company with me, Jesus says. I'm going to teach you how to live lightly and freely. The best wisdom I've heard on Sabbath, on practicing it, on actually doing it, it goes like this. Start where you can. An hour, a few hours, half a day. Start where you can. A day of delight. This morning, I'm going to invite us to start just by noticing our own desire. You've heard me talk about my desire for Sabbath. I want you to pay attention to your own, your desire for rest, for Jesus, for life with God. I'm going to read this quote from Ruth Haley Barton. The human body and soul is accustomed to living in rhythms, rhythms of a night and day, rhythms of the seasons, rhythms of eating three meals a day, and so on. Part of the restfulness of Sabbath is knowing that it always comes at the same interval, so we're not making decisions about it every week. To enter a Sabbath time, despite all the challenges, there must be a real yes deep down inside. Yes to our need, yes to our desperation, yes to God's invitation and the rightness of it before we even know how we're going to make it real in our own lives. This is the very definition of faith. To say yes when we have no idea how it's all going to work out. In the quiet, just take a few moments to say yes to whatever God is doing in your heart right now.